So yeah, we are looking at uh, Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 to 17. So if you've got some kind of version of the Bible, um, you may find it helpful to follow along, um, but I'm going to read it just to kick us off. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of uh, trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing and good to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden, there were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden, and from there it separated into four headwaters. Um, the name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. Um, the name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Ashur, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. This is slowly slipping, so I'm just going to... Wonderful. Um, so yeah, that's, there's a lot going on in that, um, in that passage. And um, I, I wrote quite a lot of a talk about it. Uh, it was going to be great. There was loads of trivia. There was going to be some hot fuzz references. It was going to be awesome. Um, but as I thought and reflected and prayed, um, I felt led to focus in quite closely on just one specific detail. And that is um, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's a lot going on in the story, but that's a, a, a detail for me that I think stands out. Um, now, we don't know much about this tree, um, other than that God tells the humans that if they eat from it, they'll certainly die. Um, we don't actually know, it's not explicitly stated whether the humans knew why they would certainly die, just that this is some tree that's going to kill them. Um, we can infer that it was in the middle of the garden, and probably next to the tree of life. Um, and we can also infer that from that, like all the other trees in the garden, it's pleasing to the eye and good for food. So bear with me here. Now, if I was making a garden in the land of delight, and there was one rule not to break, and that rule was to not eat from a specific tree in the garden, I, I firstly wouldn't make the fruit look tasty. I feel like that's like, first step, I make, make it look like, a, like a, a durian. Do you guys know durian? It's so smelly that it's caused like gas leak concerns. Genuinely, look it up, it is, or it's banned on multiple countries' public transport systems because it's gross. Um, I, I probably wouldn't also put the tree in the middle of the garden, you know, like, especially not right next to something really useful like the tree of life. I'd put it, like, on the edge of the garden or, like, you know, surround it with, like, I don't know, like a lake of lava or maybe, like, post some cherubim to guard it or maybe, like, the flashing sword or something. I mean, at least a sign. Um, you know, in terms of... In terms of uh, design flaws, this has got to be up there with exposed thermal exhaust ports for any nerds in the room. No? Okay, tough crowd. I've got three of you. There we go. Um, that was a Star Wars reference for anyone that didn't know. Um, but we digress. <laughs> OK. 
Terry is despairing. But this is God we're talking about. And he is good, and he's loving, and he has our best interests at heart. So if we believe that, we also have to believe that the absence of a warning sign or a lava lake is the best thing for us. And God didn't have to include the tree. Like, it's there intentionally. And in doing so, in putting that tree in the garden, he's given humanity a choice. You know, we're not just mindless automatons. In the words of Blaise Pascal, the French mathematician and philosopher, he's given us the dignity of causality. You know, we have a choice, and our choices matter. Now, the choice between before the humans in the garden um, was listening to God, trusting in him, trusting in him uh, that he knows best, and then enjoying his blessing and, decide, and to yeah, choose to decide, to let God decide what's in our best interest. Or to take matters into our own hand and to decide for ourselves what's good and bad. Now, the word evil in um, you know, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil can also just be translated as, as bad, as in like, gee, that last Star Wars movie sure was bad. Um, you know, it's not, it's not evil, um, but it's certainly not good. Um, and it's not like the humans are in the garden and they're like given this like Bond villain choice. Am I going to be a cool, chill guy or am I going to be evil? You know, it's not necessarily that. It's more of like, uh, shall we cook dinner or shall we go to Mackey's? Um, you know, the one option um, will leave you feeling nourished and satisfied, and quite proud of yourself. The other option will, feel you, will leave you feeling, you know, disappointed, maybe unsatisfied, potentially a bit sick, because the idea of Mackey's, oh, it tastes so much better than the reality of Mackey's. But anyway, yeah, so this phrase um, is also often linked to, like, childlikeness. Like, children are often described, or described in the Bible a few times as not knowing good from bad. And so there's this element of, like, if children choose, if not children, if humans choose to take from the tree of the knowledge of good and bad, they're, like, shedding their childlike innocence. You know, it's less, think of it less like the red pill from the Matrix, where it's like, open your eyes to the reality of some conspiracy theory, and more like giving a 10-year-old a credit card. It's not an evil choice, but it's not going to lead to life. If I was 10 and I got given a credit card, um, it wouldn't end well. In the same way, we see what happens when the humans take from the tree. I think we're going to spend more time talking about that in, in, in a few weeks, but it's more that yeah, we just see these consequences play out through the rest of Genesis. So the humans in the garden are faced with this choice. Do we trust God or do they take matters into their own hands? And actually what we see throughout the rest of the Bible is most people in the Bible are presented with this choice at some point, certainly all the major characters. Um, and it often goes super badly wrong because they just don't trust in God. You know, Abraham um, is promised by God that he's going to have a family, but he's quite old. Him and his wife, Sarah, don't have any kids, and so he decides to take matters into his own hands. And it ends up with Hagar, the Egyptian slave, being sexually abused. And then when Abraham and Sarah do have a child, um, Abraham sends Hagar and Ishmael off into the desert, presumably to die. 
Um, and then we also see, you know, the nation of Israel being stuck in the desert for 40 years because they won't trust God. And then rejecting God as their king, their descendants rejecting God as their king in favor of Saul, who was the first Israelite king, um, despite God warning them that it's going to go super badly wrong. Uh, and then we also then see a significant chunk of the Old Testament where it does go super badly wrong um, because the kings of Israel don't trust in God. And so we see all these people faced with this choice. And time and time again, people choose not to trust God, to take things into their own hands. And every time, people end up getting hurt. In fact, almost every major biblical character has some kind of moment of failure where they're presented with a choice and they don't trust God and they take matters into their own hands. I mean, even Paul writes about this in his letter to the Romans in in chapter 7, verse 19. He says, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if at this point you're thinking that, oh gosh, this all sounds rather bleak, you're you're not wrong. But (laughs) at this point, I want to talk about Jesus. Because just like the humans in the garden, Jesus was also faced with a choice to trust in God or to do things his own way. And Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11, talks about this. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Uh, The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. One of the things that I find quite interesting about um, the tree of the knowledge of good and bad is that it's right next to the tree of life. Now, elsewhere in the Bible, it's kind of alluded to that eating from the tree of life isn't like a one-and-done thing. It's not like some magic power-up like in Mario. It's a constant thing where the humans eat from the tree of life on a regular basis. And so every time they do that, they'd have to probably, imagine, walk past the tree of the knowledge of good and bad. And so they're making this choice over and over to trust in God. And we see the same thing here with Jesus. It's not like, you know, he's, he's tempted a bunch of times and every time he's choosing to trust in God. And I think we probably all experience similar things where we're, you know, we have the temptation of, oh, do I, do I trust in God? Do I trust in doing his way or do I take matters into my own hands and it's not just like a one-off thing it happens over and over and over and the issue is that if we do try and do things God way but through do think God do things God's way through you know our own willpower it's really hard it's hard to maintain that like determination but in the passage and um, 
the detail that I'd really like to just zoom in on is that Jesus is first led into the wilderness by the Spirit. You know, it's so much easier to trust God when God's Spirit is right there. You know, if we're doing it on our own, it's hard. But when God is right there, it's a very different kind of fish. But if we try and make the decision in our own strength, we often end up hurting people. And obviously, the Bible is so full of examples of this. And so my encouragement is to allow yourselves to be led by the Spirit. Which is super easy to say, but way, way harder to do. Because um, we want God to show up in like a pillar of fire and to be like, Brah! and you're like, whoa, there's definitely God, and there's no doubt about the fact that that is God. But I'm sure most of you will agree that uh, our lived experience is so often not like that. I think whenever I think about this, I, um, I think about 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 11 to 13, which some of you may be familiar with. Um, it's, it's, it's God talking to the prophet Elijah, and he says, um, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. The Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, went out, and stood at the mouth of the cave. You know, if we're going to hear God, we need to listen for that whisper. And to do that, it requires intimacy, and to be honest, practice. We're being honest in ourselves. So how can we, yeah, what does that look like? How do we do it? Well, if we look at Jesus, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, but the, the story that happens immediately beforehand, um, back in, in Matthew, Jesus is filled with the Spirit. He's baptized and then filled with the Spirit, and we see, um, yeah, the Holy Spirit descend on him like a dove. And so if Jesus needs to be filled with the Spirit, how much more do we need that as well? Jesus' disciples asked him a very similar question. They're like, What's the deal with this? How do we, how do we pray? How are we filled with the Spirit? And in Luke nineteen verses nine, uh, Luke eleven, sorry, verse nine to thirteen, Jesus said, "So I say to you, ask, and it will be given; seek, and you will find; knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives; the one who seeks finds; and the one and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of your which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish?" will give him a snake instead. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so my encouragement to us is if we're going to be, if we're going to trust in God, if we're going to not decide to do things in our own, on our own terms, in our own strength, then we need to be filled with the Spirit. And if we're going to be filled with the Spirit, then we just need to ask. So I guess just to recap, we're faced with a choice. You know, do we trust in God? Do we do things in our own strength? And that's hard to do unless we're being led by the Spirit. And if we want to be led by the Spirit, we've got to be filled with the Spirit. If we want to be filled with the Spirit, we've got to ask. 
I'm going to hand back to Becky in a second, but I guess, yeah, before we do that, um, let's pray. Yeah, Father God, thank you. Thank you that, yeah, when we trust in you, it leads to life. It leaves us feeling satisfied and filled. And I just pray that, yeah, we wouldn't be distracted by all the trees that look good for food that are not actually going to lead us to life. And I just pray that you would come now and and fill us with your spirit. Would you teach us how to be led by you? Would you give us that intimacy with you? And yeah, Jesus, would you would you help us to trust you? Amen.